Welcome back to the Word Encounter episode 167. I approached this episode with a little bit of mixed emotions as this is the final to last episode, but this is the last episode in which we'll be going through the Word as we will complete the Word in this episode. We'll finish the book of Revelation. Um, yeah, let's get started here. <laughs> in um, uh, Revelation chapter 20, well, at the end of chapter 19, we see that the, the beast of the sea and the beast of the land, or the beast of the sea and the false prophet, have been thrown alive into the lake of fire to burn with sulfur. And so we have two of the three of the unholy trinity. So what about the red dragon, you know, Satan? What happens to him? Well, let's find out. It says Satan bound in chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. So the angel has a key to the depths of hell, not Satan. One of God's minions, one of his subjects has key to the depths of hell. It says in verse 2, he seized the dragon, uh, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And so the angel seized the dragon, seized Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, let, let me read some notes on this because there's some different viewpoints on what exactly this means. And so... Uh, the thousand years are often referred to as the millennium. Just how and when this thousand years takes place is understood differently among Christian scholars. The three major positions on this issue are called postmillennialism, premillennialism, and amillennialism. First, let's look at postmillennialism. Postmillennialism looks for a literal thousand-year period of peace on earth ushered in by the church. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be unleashed once more, but then Christ will return and defeat him and reign forever. Christ's second coming will not occur until after the thousand year period. So that's one viewpoint, postmillennialism. Let's look at premillennialism. That views the thousand years as a literal time period, just like postmillennialism. However, it holds that Christ's second coming initiates the thousand year period. In other words, Christ returns, and then the thousand years, that's when the clock starts. As opposed to post-millennialism, Christ comes after the thousand years. So Christ's second coming initiates the thousand-year reign, and that his uh, reign occurs before the final removal of Satan. And then verse 3, amillennialism views the thousand-year period to be symbolic of the time between Christ's ascension and his return. This, millennial, this millennium is the reign of Christ in the hearts of believers and in his church, which is now. And so, so this viewpoint believes that we are currently in the thousand-year period, and that thousand-year period is, is, is figurative. It's not literal, okay? And this period will end with the second coming of Christ. And so when the, when the age of the church now is, is, has completed, you know, that will complete when Christ returns. Now, in my reading, I tend to lean towards number two, towards premillennialism, where the thousand years is a literal time period, but holds that Christ's second coming initiates the thousand years. And so, you know, as we go through, maybe you'll see why I lean that way. But honestly, I really don't know. And so those are the three viewpoints on this thousand year period. Then it says uh, in verse three, 
He threw him, the angel threw him into the abyss, closed it and put a seal on it so that he could no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were complete. After that, he must be released for a short time. That's interesting. The word says after the thousand year period, it says that, you know, this says the angel came down, binds Satan, throws him into the abyss, seals the abyss and lets him stew there for a thousand years. But after that, he must be released for a short time. Why must he be released? Well, let's keep going on. It says the saints reign with Christ in verse four. It says, then I saw the, then I saw thrones and people seated on, seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark of the beast on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life um, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, so let me read uh, some more notes here. Now, this is the resurrection views. Resurrection view number one. The first resurrection is believers. Um, the first resurrection is believers who are spiritually awakened or spiritually resurrected and are currently reigning with Jesus in a figurative millennial reign. The second resurrection will be when Jesus returns and the bodily resurrection of everybody for judgment will take place. So at the second coming, everybody, believers and non-believers, everybody who will be raised in body and everybody will be judged, you know, both believers and unbelievers, non-believers. The second resurrection view is that the first resurrection is a bodily resurrection of all believers. So all believers who have died throughout the history of time, everybody, all believers will be resurrected uh, when Jesus returns and everybody with Jesus will reign uh, 4,000 years on earth. Uh, Afterwards, the second resurrection will be of unbelievers who have died so that they can be judged. So the second uh, resurrection will be the resurrection of unbelievers, you know, so that they can be judged. So they don't get they don't get to escape simply because they die. Okay, so those are the two viewpoints with regard to the resurrection and and what exactly happens. Let's see. Uh, Let's go on to wait. Where am I? Okay, verse five. In verse five. It says the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were complete. And so that's what I believe. I believe that uh, everybody, uh, all believers will be raised with Jesus and that we'll rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. And then after that period, everybody or all the unbelievers will be raised in bodily form to be judged. Then it says this is the first resurrection, you know, and then um Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. That's why I believe the first resurrection points to that being the resurrection of believers. And it says the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. The second death being the separation, the eternal separation from God. That's uh, what the word is calling the second death. And it says uh, the eternal separation from, uh, from God has no power over over those who are raised in the first resurrection. In other words, it has the second death has no power over those who believe in Jesus because we will rule and reign with him uh, for, uh, for eternity. You see, and so we will not die again. We will not die to that separation to God. 
Satanic rebellion crushed in verse 7. When the 1000 years uh when the 1000 years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. And so we see that Satan is released from his prison after the 1000 years. And so this is this may be why in verse 3 it stated that he couldn't he must be let go. Uh, Satan will be released from his prison. Why? And he will go out to deceive the nations at the four co- corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, which are symbolic for evil, uh, to gather them for battle, to gather the evil people remaining on earth for battle. Satan will go out and will deceive the people that can be deceived that are on the earth at that time in order to wage war against God, basically. And it says their number is like the sand of the sea. So there will be a lot of these people, you know, who will want to rise with Satan against God. In verse 9, they came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. So they came and they surrounded Jerusalem. Their numbers were huge and they came and they surrounded Jerusalem. But what happened? Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so that is Satan's fate to be thrown in with the other two making up the unholy Trinity and all three of them will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The great white throne judgment in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no one was found for them. Then it says in verse 12. I also saw the deed, the great and the small, or excuse me, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books, plural, were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. So the first one implies that there is a book of deeds, that there is a book that keeps track of everybody's good deeds and bad deeds, everybody's deeds. Okay, And it says here, and if if we take the viewpoint that this is the judgment of the unbelievers and all of their works are in there, they will have some good works, but they will have bad works as well. And it says, and the dead were judged according uh, to their works by what is written in the books. Now, what I find interesting, we'll find out a little bit later, is regardless of what that verdict comes out, everybody gets the same sentence. (laughs) Verse 14. It says, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So you have the book of deeds that keeps track of what people do good and evil. And then the book of life and only the people uh, 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 who ascribe to Jesus, only the people who confess Jesus are in the book of life. Only the believers are in the book of life. And so regardless, it seems like of what one's deeds, good deeds or bad deeds were, if you did not subscribe to Jesus, if you did not confess Jesus, if you did not believe in Jesus, it says here in anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. See, and in the lake of fire, you don't die in the lake of fire. That's the place of eternal torment. You probably wish that you could die. Then it says in chapter 21, the new creation. So Satan is gone now. (laughs) What happens after that? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And so this implies that the earth that we're currently living on will essentially fold tent, but it will be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be no waters. There will be no seas. There will be, it seems like there'll just be land. I don't know. Then it says verse two. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned from her husband. <clears throat> then it says in verse three, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. See, when we speak of God now, we look up in the heavens. This is suggesting that he's going to come down from the heavens and dwell amongst the people on the surface of the new earth in the new Jerusalem. It says they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Hallelujah. <sighs> Let me read that again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, no more. Crying, no more. Pain, no more. Because the previous things have passed away. All things are new now, baby. Then it says in verse 5, then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right. He's talking to John, right, because these words are faithful and true. So uh, the angel essentially telling God, no, wait, the one seated on the throne said, so this is God telling John through his vision, right, because what I'm telling you is true. It will come to pass. In verse six. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Who? The one who conquers. Then verse eight is a warning. It says, but the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The New Jerusalem. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had um, held the seven bowls filled with the seven, filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Then he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, uh, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. And then in the following verses, this goes on to describe a bejeweled city, you know, lined with crystal and think of diamonds and pearls and rubies. And so it goes into some level of detail describing what this new Jerusalem will look like. And then it says in verse 16, this city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. Uh, yes, its length and, length, length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. What is 12,000 stadia? 12,000 stadia is roughly 1,400 miles, 1,400 miles, which is probably somewhere around 1,900 or 2,000 kilometers or something. I, I haven't done the conversion. 
So 1,400 miles is about halfway between New York City and Los Angeles. And so it says that the length and the width and the height are the same. And so the length and the width, 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles, that's a pretty good chunk of territory. But 1,400 miles tall? If you if you ride in an airplane at 35,000 feet, see, you're cruising at 35,000 feet. That's about seven miles above the surface of the earth. Seven. This is saying 1,400. <clears throat> and so it, it, I can't even imagine this. Okay, but this is the this is the capital of the new earth, which is the new Jerusalem. Then it goes on. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb are its temple. There's no need for a temple because the Lord and uh, um, the Lord God and the lamb are the temple. See, it's speaking of these two together, not separately. Well, we'll, we'll continue on with that in a little bit. It says in verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. In verse 24, it says, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now, this, th- this is interesting. It says there will be a people who have access to the capital, the New Jerusalem, but they don't live in it. They live elsewhere on the earth. Then it says in verse 25, its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. And so in other words, it symbolizes that the capital, the new Jerusalem will always be open. Always. It will never be shut. Let's go on to the last chapter, chapter 22. It says the source of life. Then he showed me the river of water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God. It says, clear, uh, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God. In other words, it's saying one throne, one throne, God and the Lamb of God. That implies that they're one, one throne, <clears throat> that they're united. In verse three, it says, the throne of God and of the Lamb, the throne, not the thrones, the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. See, it's his servant is speaking in, in singular. It's saying God and of the lamb is spoken of as a singular entity. One, the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Now, remember, God has to turn his back to Moses because Moses couldn't see his face or else he would die. So they're saying right here, it says they will, they will be able to gaze upon God. Now, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so we see that people have, 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 have seen Jesus, but as far as the, 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 the totality of God and his radiance, this seems to be the first time that man can look on it. It says, and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. It says night will be no more. People will not need the uh, the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The time is near in verse six. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets 
has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. It says what must soon take place, not what might soon take place, not what might take place, but what must soon take place. Then it says in verse seven, now remember soon, soon to God and soon to us aren't the same thing. Okay. Verse seven, uh, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This is Jesus speaking. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This book being Revelation. Now, let me back up. Now I'm thinking about it. That could mean the entire Bible with maybe an emphasis on Revelation. I'm not sure. Then it says in verse 10, then he said to me, John is talking about Jesus. Then he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Look, I am coming soon and my reward uh, is with me to repay each person according to his work. And so, again, we're not talking about salvation here. Works and deeds comes into play with regard to the degree of reward we get uh, after we have made ourselves eligible for eternal life. You see, there are rewards after that. Salvation is by faith. But what we get, our reward, that is based on deeds or works. So he said, look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. That also means, I believe, the unbeliever. Verse 13, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes, who through, the, through my blood, who have cleansed themselves through my blood so that they may have the right to the eternal tree of life and they can enter the new Jerusalem by the city gates. And it says, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the, sexual, uh, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They won't be able to enter. They, <laughs> they'll be burning in the lake of sulfur. Then it says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who desires, uh, let the one who desires take the water of life freely. This is uh, uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. This is Jesus's invitation. This is his proposition to us all. Both spirit, both the spirit and the bride say what? They say, come, come partake, come, come take me up on my invitation. Let anyone who hears say, come. In other words, then we are to invite people. Come, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. In verse 18 comes a big, big, big time warning. 
It says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. Jesus is warning, don't mess with the word. See, the word was God. The word is God. The word Jesus is the word. He's saying, I am the word. Don't you mess with my word. Don't you modify it. Don't you filter it. Don't you try to change it to make it more appealing to other people, more palatable to some people. Don't mess with my word. Whatever is in this word stands. Don't mess with it. And so I do this with fear and trembling because I do not want to put anything with regard to my opinion on this word. So I'm trying my best and I've tried my best through all these episodes to deliver an unfiltered word. Because there are more than a few things in this word that I have a hard time with. <laughs> and there may be a few things that I actually don't, don't agree with. But this is God's word. I can't mess with God's word. This is what he says. This is what I'm trying to deliver. In verse 20, it says, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. No matter what we may or may not understand in this whole Bible, in this book of Revelation or whatever, a lot of that is not necessary. If you need to understand, understand this one thing. Take away this one thing. Yes, I am coming soon. That is what Jesus says. <clears throat> In verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Uh, with that, we have completed our journey through the Bible. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. This applies to everybody on the face of the earth, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Period. End of story. Take it to the bank. Please consider taking him up on his offer if you haven't already done so. And that concludes this episode. Again, tomorrow I'll be doing a New Testament summary and uh, also a summary on this entire you know, 267 episode word encounter, word encounter series.
Everybody take care, be blessed, stay safe, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and in his grace and mercy, should he give us another day of life, we'll see you tomorrow for the final episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.